Amen. You know, uh, that Psalm 5 that we just sung, obviously that's going to be our text uh, for today, as you might have seen in the bulletin. Jeff said we're going to go way back for this song. We went back about a thousand years before Christ, right? Yeah. And uh, so now the tune, uh, we're, I'm assuming the tune wasn't a thousand years old, right? But just the lyrics? Only God knows. Only right? God knows. Well, that's good. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, oh, the scriptures are so hard to understand or so hard to read and so forth. Uh, but then you, you put a beautiful psalm like this to, to, to words or to music, and it's, it's so simple and it's so beautiful and so precious. It's not hard to read at all, you know. Uh, kind of reminds me of the, the fellow that said, uh, you, know, uh, I, you know, war and peace is, is just so hard to read. And I'm like, I don't think so. I mean, it's war and peace. It's just three words. What's, what's, so, hard about, what's so hard about that? But I want to start, we're calling this God's guidance system. Uh, I want to start with uh, kind of giving you a glimpse of what my life on the road looked like for many, many years. Uh, uh, we spent the majority of our time uh, traveling f- to speak at churches and conferences with Not But Works Ministries. And uh, this was kind of a typical recurring thing in, in my life that became basically a nightmare. I still have nightmares about it, but I would land at an airport, make my way to my luggage, make my way to the rental car center. Often that involved taking a shuttle to, you know, a big rental car places at larger airports. I would finally get to m- get my car. I would dig my GPS. This was in the days before everybody used their cell phone for um, maps and stuff. You just did, you had the old-fashioned GPSs with the little suction things. You would and popped it on your windshield, and so, but because it had been in my luggage and was uh, on the, you know, at high elevation, by the time I got it out of my suitcase at the rental car, it took, it was taking it a while, to, it would take it a while to find the satellites, and inevitably, it wouldn't register until I was, you know, already pulling out, and then I'd have to pull over somewhere, wait, because I don't know where I'm going, I'm going to some hotel or some conference center or whatever, and that was always frustrating because frequently the planes were late. I was already behind schedule. I was supposed to be there to set up a table or something ahead of time. And it was just uh, frustrating. Now, it's even more frustrating now, even though I don't travel quite as much, because we use cell phones. But as I'm sure you've noticed, unless you have cell coverage, you can't get uh, the, uh, the maps. So I still think you need a good old-fashioned GPS that can do satellites, because if you're up in the mountains or someplace where there's no coverage, you know, you might get there because it'll, even if you lose coverage, it'll kind of t- take you the rest of the way there based on its memory. It's a pretty smart device, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but you try to get in your car to come home, and you have no idea. So, of course, I think the wisest choice is for us to go back to good old-fashioned maps and atlases like we used to use. And we do have those uh, in the car, but I just don't remember how to use them. That's that's the problem. Uh, but the, 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 we, we need guidance and you know if technology fails we're going to be a lot of people in a world of hurt well we also need guidance when it comes to our spiritual lives we need guidance um, to uh, to navigate life successfully to understand that life is about more than we can uh, see or feel or touch that there's something more going on that there's someone namely our god who saved us Uh, if you know the lord hopefully you do hopefully you've trusted in christ for salvation uh, we need his regular input in our lives. And really, that's what Psalm 5 is all about. We've talked about prayer several months ago when we were in our Hebrews series. I dedicated one of those messages that, where Hebrews talked about prayer to prayer. 
But I want to come at it from a little bit different angle following the outline of uh, Psalm 5 uh, this morning. But as we think about prayer, there are a lot of misconceptions about prayer out there. And it's been a while since I've shown a humorous video, so I thought, we're overdue. We need to laugh a little. Anybody feel like they need to laugh? I do. So I'm going to, I don't know if you've heard of these, uh, this series of videos uh, done by J uh, Johnny and Chachi, humorous uh, spoofs, sort of. But this is Johnny and Chachi's killer prayer tips. So we'll tell you how not to pray. Let's look at it that way. And then I'll tell you how to pray as we get into Psalm uh, chapter 5. But this is about three and a half minutes. Hi, I'm Johnny. And I'm Chachi. We're getting into ministries. You know, a lot of people come up to us and ask us hard questions about God the Bible, and spiritual living. Well, you know what? A lot of those questions are softball questions for us. There are actually some pretty good ones. One of them being, how do I have a better prayer life? Well, good news, we got some killer tips to a better prayer life. Before we do that, though, let's start off with a title and some dance moves. Right, we're not doing the title and the dance. Let's just kind of get into this. When you're saying a prayer in public, you want to use the phrase Father God as much as humanly possible. Just last week, I said a 30-second prayer and got 17 Father Gods in it. So look, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying with a little bit of effort, it can be done. If you have a prayer request but don't actually want to request it, simply say, unspoken. I currently have six unspokens that I'm praying for this guy about. Johnny, sorry to bother you, but I actually have another prayer request. Okay. What? It's unspoken. <laughs> okay, well that's seven. And while I have no clue what I'm praying about, someone does. Just no one human. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And well, we believe in the Bible. Shachi has been praying without ceasing for over 32 hours now. Shachi, how do you feel? What, who said what? Where am I? Well, Chachi, you have been praying for over 32 hours straight. You feel pretty good? Can I get a restroom break? <laughs> Not if you want to fully obey scripture. Let's say you become privy to some juicy information about someone, but don't want to be seen as a gossip. We've got good news. You're good to go if you put it in the form of a prayer request. <laughs> still cannot believe what Jill said to Keith. I can't believe it either. Did you know that John got canned? What? Let's talk about it in a prayer group. <laughs> Some think your prayer position is irrelevant. But we have found that your prayer position can not only boost your prayer life, but can stretch you physically. Chachi, why don't you go ahead and show us some examples? Well, I wasn't really planning on praying, but I guess I could give it a shot. Oh, very nice. Good, that is classic. Wow. Seriously, wow. The last thing you do when you pray is fairly obvious. You say, Amen. And if you happen to be in a group of people holding hands, it's imperative that you accompany that Amen with a physical action known as the hand squeeze. The squeeze lets the people on either side of you know, hey, the prayer's over. I care about you, but I'm letting go now. <laughs> and when you are holding hands, never interlock, because that can make your prayer partners a little uncomfortable. <laughs> we want to thank you for watching, or shall I say, growing in your prayer life.
Yeah, now can we do the, the title and dance moves? No, just kind of say thanks for watching. And... That's seriously unreal. This is actually my miracle position. <laughs> <clears throat> well, uh, I don't know if there's anything I can say after that. Um, uh, obviously, there are some misconceptions about prayer uh, out there. But David, uh, obviously a thousand years before Christ, um, he is uh, praying what we call a imprecatory prayer. Now, we've talked about that way back at the beginning of this series. An imprecatory uh, prayer is essentially where you're, you're calling on God to bring judgment or uh, misfortune on your enemies. You're, you're just being honest before him. You're saying, my enemy is attacking. God, I need you to intervene. It, it's not, it's not uh, unfair uh, to say that you're asking for God to hurt them. And that's the nature of imprecatory prayers, that you're saying, God, these people are your enemies. They're my enemies. They're coming against you and your word, and I want you to, to bring them down, is what essentially uh, David is, is saying. It's, it's similar in our culture, at least in a conservative, evangelical Christian culture, where we might uh, give a, a strong denunciation of culture. And we might say, you know, Lord, put a stop to this evil, or, or God, you know, bring an end to whatever this fundamental evil might be, say abortion or uh, other issues that are pre prevalent in culture. So what I want to do in, in, as we kind of go through these 12 verses is essentially give you six aspects of David's prayer that I think are worth noting. As I kind of read through Psalm 5, uh, and it's, it's broken up into stanzas like all of these psalms usually are. So if you have your English Bible, I'm going to put the verses on the screen. But the first three verses are stanza 1, verses 4 through 6 are stanza 2. And then it's verses 7 through 10 are stanza 3, and the final stanza is verses 11 and 12. Remember, the verse numbers were not added until centuries later uh, after uh, the, David wrote it under the inspiration of, of the Spirit. So I'm calling this David's Roadmap, and the first thing I want us to look at is to whom David prays. It might sound obvious, but you know any guidance system is only as good as its source material. Um, you know, we've got, and perhaps you do too, a collection of old GPSs. You know, some of them are about the size of a Volkswagen, you know, and, uh, but they're old and they've never been updated. And, you know, roads change. As, you, as we travel across the country, we see construction, we see new exits, we see roads that are closed. They've closed, closed it up, put a subdivision there, so you kind of have to go around it. And if you're using an old GPS system, you could run into problems. Um, and uh, so... Your, your source of guidance is only as good as, uh, you know, your, your guidance is only as good as the source. Um, we, we sometimes will stop and ask directions, not guys, of course, because we know better. But, uh, you know, you ladies will stop and ask directions. And I always love it when you're in a small town and you, you, you pull up to a gas station. The other day we were driving the other side of Decker's up on 67, and I pulled into that little... Uh, town store there in Decker's some of you know where I'm talking about and um, I walked in the door and the guy behind the counter good old fella he says it's two miles down that way and I said what and he said 
what you're looking for, like everybody else that comes in here and asks directions for. So uh, he was, you can tell he's used to giving out directions. But, you know, it's like when you stop and ask a local, you know, where is such and such? And they go, well, it's two miles down there, and then you turn left by where the old water tower used to be. And you're thinking, well, if it used to be there and it's not there, how's that going to help me, you know? <clears throat> but notice to whom David prays. You have to ask the right person for guidance. You have to ask the right person for direction. The source is crucial. So he says, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. You know, we see examples throughout biblical history and even in, in non-biblical human history uh, of people uh, praying to false gods. One of my favorite examples is uh, in the life of Elijah from 1 Kings chapter 18 when the false prophets were praying to a fake god called Baal. And they said, it, the, the Bible tells us they took the bull which was given to them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made as if somehow dancing around is going to get a fake God who doesn't exist's attention. And then it says, And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud. Cry louder, in other words. For he is, he's a God. Maybe he's meditating. Or maybe he's busy. Some of you know, if you've studied this passage, that he is busy is a Hebrew euphemism for maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's in the restroom. <laughs> and if you're praying for guidance to a false god, he may as well be meditating or sleeping, or maybe he's taking a walk, or maybe he's in the restroom. Um, so David says, hear me when I call, O God. Uh, this is uh, another psalm of David in Psalm 4, and, and each time they call out to God. Sometimes it's the Lord, Yahweh, we've talked about that, all caps, L-O-R-D. Sometimes it's the Creator God, Elohim. Uh, but the, the source of your guidance is, is crucial. Uh, that's why Jesus, when he gave us the sample prayer, which we looked at a few months ago, says, in this manner pray, our Father, our Father in heaven. That's who we pray to. Uh, in uh, Luke chapter uh, 6, we read that it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. So if Jesus himself is praying to God, that ought to give us a clue. And James tells us that when we do come to God, that he will respond to us without reproach. <clears throat> you know, you ever feel sometimes embarrassed when you have to go back and ask for the same advice to someone again? And, you know, you asked them once, they told you, you either didn't follow it or you forgot, and so you got to go back and ask again, and you're like, I know you've told me this, but tell me again. We never have to worry about God thinking badly about us if we do that. We never have to feel ashamed. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And he gives to all liberally without reproach. God's never going to chide us and say, haven't you learned yet? Don't you remember what I told you last time? You're coming back to me with the same you know, request again? That's not the loving father uh, that we have. Uh, so we notice to whom he prays. And then in verse 3, and we just sung about this. We sung all of these verses, these first three. When he prays. I want you to notice when he prays. My voice shall you hear in the morning, O Lord. 
in the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. You know, I was uh, really uh, fortunate to grow up in a Christian family that uh, always had a spiritual, positive spiritual influence and through church and Sunday school and youth camps and youth groups and all of those types of things. And I can remember <coughs> going to summer camp at Word of Life Bible Institute in Scroon Lake, New York. We lived in the Northeast at, when I was a kid. And I remember learning at that camp as a young uh, preteen uh, how to have a morning quiet time. And uh, somewhere buried in all of our nostalgic keepsakes, I've still got the little quiet time diaries that I continued for years to come all the way through high school. I would bring them to school with me and I would, uh, you know, whenever I was reading the Word, I would make notes. For David, it was important to start each day with contemplations of God, to think about God, pray to Him, you know, and uh, obviously we don't have to pray only in the morning, but what a great way to start the day. It sort of sets the tone, and if you're like me, there are many days when you got a lot on your plate, you go to bed at night stressing about your task list and things that are coming up, and so consequently you wake up in the morning and you just want to hit the ground running. I have days where I'm a big coffee drinker. You some you probably see me walking around with my, you know, triple shot latte, and uh, so there are many days when I when I go straight in to start working on stuff, and then I get responding to emails and working on whatever message I'm working on, and it's afternoon, and I start to get a headache, and I realize I never even stop to have breakfast or coffee, you know, and so if you can get in the habit of, you know, starting each day, you know, even before you get out of bed, just say, Lord. Busy day today, but I'm glad I'm your child. I'm thankful that you're watching over me. Help me to be sensitive to your leadership. Help me to be sensitive to what the Spirit might put on my heart. Just simple prayers like that. I mean, obviously, if we can get to the point in our routine where we can have a more intentional, dedicated moment of reading Scripture, like a proverb a day, and praying, and really spend 15 minutes saturated in the Word or more, that's great. But at the very least, it's good to start the day talking to, uh, to the Lord. In uh, this psalm, which is from Heman, the Ezraite, uh, it's the only one that he wrote. It's also one of the saddest psalms of all uh, psalms in the Bible, 150 psalms. Uh, it relates to the prayer of a guy who suffered intensely over a long time, and yet he continued to trust in the Lord. And even though he was suffering, and even though it had been a prolonged suffering, he still is able to say, To you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. It's easy to give up. Uh, we've experienced in, in, in at least one major way in our 30 years of marriage a miracle where we were praying for something very heavy on our hearts, very trying, suffering, difficult time. And to be honest, there were times when both Wendy and I gave up at different times. But the Lord used each other to kind of keep bringing us back and we continued to pray. Even when we didn't feel like praying. Um, and God honored it. And obviously the kind of faith, we're going to talk about faith in just a second, but the kind of faith that prayer life requires is the kind of faith that says even if, you know, even if God doesn't give us the answer that we're hoping for, He's still God and we're going to still trust Him. But boy, it sure is nice to have 
uh, something you can point to to say, you know what, God came through in a big, big way. And I bet if everyone in this room thought about it long enough, you, you've all got multiple examples of that. It's easy to forget the answers to prayer. It's, it's harder to forget the times when we feel like God is silent, right? But uh, this prayer of Heman is a really, uh, a really good one. And then in Psalm 55, another Psalm of David, he, he echoes the same thoughts as he did in uh, Psalm 5. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray. In fact, uh, Jesus tells us that we ought always to pray. Luke 18, remember the context there? That's the, prayer of the, pers- the, the, the parable of the de- persistent widow. And uh, Luke says, he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray. Remember that persistent widow who just kept coming back again and again and again to the judge to seek justice? And finally, in the parable, the judge concedes because he's just tired of hearing from her. <laughs> So obviously a parable is just making a big picture point. It's not that God ever gets tired of hearing from us, but the point is persistence pays off. And uh, we don't know God's timetable. We don't work. God doesn't have any clocks in heaven. There are no time, there's no timetable. He's eternal. And so what to us seems like a long time is just a matter of not losing heart, which is another purpose of that parable, and continuing uh, to trust God. We should always be in an attitude of prayer. You know, that uh, Johnny and Chachi skit kind of made light of the whole pray without ceasing concept with a kind of a wooden literalism there. But obviously what Paul was talking about there in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says pray without ceasing is your attitude. Just prayer essentially is talking to God. Uh, I think one of the best books written on prayer is by one of my professors at Dallas Seminary, Tom Constable, called Talking to God. That's really what prayer is. Now, we've formalized it. There are some obviously some uh, principles given in Scripture about it. Jesus teaches us how to pray, dear God, you know, amen, in Jesus' name, those types of things. But at its root level, prayer is talking to God. So when you're driving, uh, you know, don't close your eyes, obviously, but uh, you can be talking to God, right? I think I've mentioned before, I, I do some of my best praying while I'm driving. And Wendy says she does some of her best praying while I'm driving too. But uh, I think we're praying for different things. But um, uh, pray without ceasing has to do with uh, the attitude. And we've talked a lot about Ephesians 6 and this famous passage about spiritual warfare when we went through the Spirit of the Antichrist series and even to some extent talking about what in the world is going on, how we live in a midst of a cosmic battle, an unseen spiritual war that's going on between God and Satan. And in that context... It's interesting that Paul kind of closes out this reference to our spiritual armor by saying, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I think that's the idea. So we've seen to whom he prays, when he prays, and now we see why he prays. This gets to the imprecatory nature of the prayer. He was facing a crisis. He was facing an enemy. In fact, most of our prayers are reactionary, right? Let's be honest. Uh, we most often pray because something is going on that calls on us to pray. Often it's a need. We need healing. We need rescue. We need provision. We need help. We need peace. We need comfort. Sometimes it's spontaneous reactionary praise. Praise God. He's done something amazing. And we want to give thanks to Him. 
Maybe he answered a prayer. Maybe someone gave a good testimony of something you were praying with them about, and you're able to say, praise God. But most of our prayers are reactionary, and the point is, that's okay. That's okay. David's prayer was reactionary. He says, for, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. Note the number of times that David references the Lord in these verses with pronouns or direct names. He prays because he knows who the Lord is. And he prays because he knows the Lord is trustworthy. And he repeats several attributes and eternal characteristics of God as a way of expressing his trust in him. We're going to come back again to this idea of trust here in a second, but at its, at its essence, prayer is faith. It's an expression of faith. We're saying, I'm going to speak to someone I can't see uh, to help me with something that I need in this realm of time, space, and matter. It's faith. Faith, as Hebrews tells us, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So uh, David here is facing an enemy, and he's uh, I think it's interesting that he's reminding God, based on his own attributes and character, that God does not take pleasure in wickedness. I mean, de- God didn't need to be reminded of that. But it's okay, and, and especially in the context of an imprecatory prayer, to say, God, look, look at that. They're worshiping idols. Or look at that. They're abusing your children. Or look at that. They're coming against your chosen nation. Whatever it is. And he goes on to say, You, God, shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. You can really get a sense for the passion that's coming through here. Whatever it was that David was facing was pretty serious. And when we don't understand why things are happening, in this case why an enemy might have the upper hand when it doesn't seem fair, we should pray to the Lord and recite for our benefit, not his obviously, as I said, God's faithful promises. God, I know you hate evil. I know it's not pleasing to you that this person is suffering an injustice at the hands of another. And God, I'm pleading with you to intervene. Um, Paul, again, correlating back to present church age New Testament uh, exhortations here, he says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which... surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So David is essentially praying because like us sometimes, he knows that God is really the only source of strength and peace. Um, So do you need peace? Is there something today that's beyond your control? You know, guys especially like to fix things. We, we, We like to take matters into our own hands. Sometimes God brings things into our life that are beyond our control. We can't pick up the phone or write a letter or go to the workbench and get some tools and fix what, you know, you just have to say it's in God's hands. And whatever David was facing, he was calling on God to intervene in judgment on his enemies and he was reciting for God God's attributes and the fact that David knows God doesn't like evil. Isaiah, the prophet, in one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, you've probably heard me 
quoted or seen me write it on the card before is Isaiah 26 3 you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you and uh, you know sometimes uh, we need wisdom we, we need some type of either answer or if the answers don't come and God doesn't choose us to give us the answer we need a calmness we need just a literal peace that passes understanding that can only come from the Lord that just makes you say, it's going to be okay. Uh, going back to that James passage, again, when we need wisdom, we go to the Lord for it. And Proverbs tells us that the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So we saw to whom he prays, when he prays, why he prays, and now let's look at where he prays. Uh, where he prays. In verse 7, he went into the house of the Lord. Uh, in David's day, the temple was the seat of God's presence. Uh, today, God's dwe God dwells through His Spirit permanently within every believer within the body of Christ. Now, the, the Solomon's temple hadn't been built yet, but the tabernacle, the, the, the courtyard, the presence of the Lord was associated with the temple or the tabernacle. And he says, As for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In the fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. But today... As we have the full complement of God's revelation, we have the rest of the story, we understand the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit today, which is a unique blessing for the believers of this present age, according to the Bible, uh, that we don't have to go to a physical brick-and-mortar place uh, to pray. For example, in 1 Corinthians 3, and in the context here, he's talking about the church, the, the body of Christ, not a building, but the body of Christ, and he says, do you not know that you, plural, the body of Christ, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? A little bit later on in the same letter, he uses the same terminology, but now he's talking about individual believers. That Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not uh, your own? So there's nothing... You know, there's no holy ground in the sense of God's presence because God is omnipresent. And wherever we go, we're on holy ground if we're talking to the Lord and we're right fellowship with Him. Um, you know, I, I can remember early on in, in ministry, my first full-time church, Winnie and I had just gotten married, and we uh, were at this church that had a beautiful sanctuary. It was a very old turn-of-the-century building, and their church had been around since the 1840s, and um, they had remodeled the building, the auditorium or sanctuary many times, but... This was the church, a church that had monthly uh, business meetings. Uh, and anybody that's pastor knows that's a recipe for disaster. But uh, I was young, and so, uh, but I'm also a pragmatist, and I, you know, I was much less sensitive back then. You think I'm insensitive now sometimes? You should have seen me 30 years ago. But anyway, uh, we, uh, we got ready to have our first business meeting. I've been on the job a month, and uh, I told the secretary that, uh, I wanted to set up in the sanctuary because, you know, we had a sound system, we had comfortable pews, we had all the stuff we needed uh, to just seem like a logical place. And she goes, oh, no, we, we don't have our business meetings in there. And I said, really? Why, why not? Where do you have them? Oh, we have them down in the fellowship hall in the basement. Why is that? And she said, well, you'll learn after you've been to a few of our business meetings, they kind of get ugly sometimes, and we don't want to desecrate the sanctuary with these <laughs> business meetings. And I just looked at her and I said, uh, well, actually, I called the one of the 
leaders, the kind of the moderator, the guy that was used to running the meetings and had the same conversation with him. And I just told him, I said, look, if there are inappropriate things being said or done or people are in the flesh misbehaving at business meetings, it doesn't matter whether they're in the sanctuary or the fellowship hall or the bathroom. It's wrong. <laughs> nothing, it's not like it's okay to act this way down here, but we don't want to act that way there. There's nothing sacred about the auditorium. And um, so I, I won, won the battle and ended up losing the war. But anyway, uh, I probably would have handled it a little bit differently, eased into it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of a pragmatist at, at heart. But the point is, we have the, the Spirit of God within us. And so that's a new and living way that's been opened up for us. We can burst into the throne room, as Hebrews 4 tells us, and find grace and help in time of need. We don't have to go like David did. Um, and so that's a blessing that we have you know, over David. The early church in Acts chapter 2, as we see the description there of the church in Jerusalem after it was, just after it was founded, one of the key factors of the regular assembly was prayer. So it's okay to come together, but we can come together in a, around a picnic table in a park, in a beautiful building like we have here, in a tent, or in someone's living room. Because again... Uh, the church body is the temple of the Lord, as is each one of us individually. Prayer has a unifying effect on the body. It gets our attention off of ourselves and onto God. And that's why Paul in Romans 12 says that we are rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly uh, in prayer. So to whom he prays, when he prays, why he prays, we notice where he prays. Now let's look at what he prays. Let's look at what he prays. So he says in verse 8, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. He prays for direction. It would have been very easy for David in this situation to get outside of the Lord's will, to get ahead of the Lord, and to take matters into his own hands. You know, uh, And so he's praying for the Lord's direction. Proverbs 3 is a great verse. It was my father-in-law's favorite verse. He said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge the Lord and He will direct uh, your paths. David, going back to the text, says, There is no faithfulness in their mouth. Again, talking about his enemies. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. So he he prays for protection from his en enemies. They're only after one thing, destruction. They want David's head on a platter. And so he's praying for direction, and he's praying for protection. And when you boil it all down, what more do we need in life? We need direction. What should I do? Where should I go? How should I handle it? And we need protection. We want to feel safe and secure, right? So those are two key things that David uh, prays for. He goes on to say, Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. This is, again, an imprecatory prayer. Defeat my enemies, O Lord. And then in the final two verses, we see how he prays. How he prays. And contrary to that tongue-in-cheek spoof that we watch at the beginning, it's not about your position. Uh, it's not about how many father gods you say. Uh, it's about faith. Notice what he says. Let all those who rejoice, let, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. He prays with a steadfast confidence, 
trust, faith, those are all synonyms. And the only one who can answer all of our questions and eliminate all of our threats. He prays with faith in the only one who can calm all of our fears and meet all of our needs. He says, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor as you will surround him as with a shield. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. So what do we mean when we talk about faith? You know, James talks about this idea, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. This concept has really been overplayed, especially in some Christian circles like the word of, so-called word of faith movement and other more charismatic movements. And while I respect a lot about some of those movements in the sense of their sensitivity to the spirit and, and a lot of those things, I think they're missing the boat a little bit here. It, it comes down in many cases for them to more of a faith in your faith. And that's not what we're talking about. Uh, faith isn't a matter of a quality such as if person A believes God to do something, but person B really believes God to do something, their faith is better. And if person A believes and they really believe and this one really, really believes, this one's faith is better. That's not the, the idea here. It's, it's not the quality of faith. It's more the object of faith. It's a steadfast confidence in, in the Lord. It's a coming to the Lord with an attitude of, Lord, this is the need. This is the desire of my heart. This is what, from my perspective, I feel like would be best. And Lord, I'm asking you uh, to do that. David does that elsewhere. I'm thinking of Psalm 37, for example. Nothing wrong with asking our God to give us the desires of our heart. But we have to do it in faith, believing that there is a God, we are not Him, He knows what's best for us, and if His will for us is to prolong the circumstance, whatever it may be, we're going to accept that. It's going back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which we've talked about before, how they said, I believe God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. And we're going to just trust uh, him. And so, uh, you know, in, back in the Sermon on the Mount, again, quoting Jesus, he says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in a secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Again, he's not giving a hard, fast you know, requirement here that we must always pray in a prayer closet. This is a general expression about prayer. But the idea here is, don't pray with selfish motives that would bring attention to yourself. And then he says, when you do pray, do not use vain repetitions. You know, you don't need 17 Father Gods and you don't need to say the same prayer over and over again, which a lot of religions do. They have these rote prayers that are recited, you know, like Hail Marys, for example. And that's explicitly forbidden by Jesus. Don't do that. It needs to come from the heart. And that's really what a faith is. Uh, Jesus goes on to say, Your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So faith is not some kind of a mystical wish list that if we can somehow conjure up enough you know, earnestness in our, 
emotion of really, 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 really believing it, he'll give it. Faith is simply the certain knowledge of who is in control. God. That's faith. The certain knowledge of who is in control. And I'm going to trust him. And he's a good, good father. He knows what's best for us. Just as, as parents, uh, those of you that are parents can understand there are times that it breaks your heart to not give a child something or to discipline a child. And frankly, most parents don't have the, the constitution to do that, which is why, why we live in a world where a bunch of kids run amok. Uh, but it, we know that it's the right thing. And God knows what's best for us. He's not going to intentionally harm us. And so I know it's difficult. It's easier said than done. We've all been there. And sometimes you just really, like we looked at in Psalm 13 uh, a few weeks ago when we talked about how long, O oh Lord, you know, um, the cries of the heart. I forget what I titled that message, but yeah, I think you remember it. Go back and read Psalm 13. It's a real short psalm if you weren't here. Um, but, but faith isn't just... It's more about who God is than who we are. And so how does David pray? He prays in faith. In faith. So those are just six things that jumped off the page to me as I walked through this short psalm. To whom he prayed, when he prayed, why he prayed, where he prayed, what he prayed, and how he prayed. So the takeaway then is going to be a couple of compound sentences, and we'll just walk through each of those six things and, and take the lesson away from it. So first of all, we want to make sure we're praying to God, not some statue, not some beads on a string, to God. Uh, we want to pray to God where, whenever you need to. There's no time limit. There's no specific time. You know, Obviously, pray in the morning is great. It's a great way to start the, way, the day out in a good attitude. But pray to God whenever you need to because he's trustworthy. And pray wherever you are for whatever you need, believing that God can do it. So when we believe God can do something, there's a difference between believing God can do it and he will do it. See, the name it and claim it folks basically are giving orders to God. I don't believe that's the biblical model. I believe the biblical model is, God, I know you can do this. And I'm asking you to do it. And I'm trusting you to do it. But if you don't, I readily admit that I'm trusting in you because you see what I don't, you know what I don't, and you care more for me or this person that I'm praying for or whoever it is than I could possibly care for them. So it's in your hands. So the roadmap for guidance is pretty simple in Scripture. And it's prayer. Always remember God can do anything. God can do anything. And if he doesn't, it isn't because he couldn't. That should be a takeaway too. God can do anything. And if he doesn't, it isn't because he couldn't. So then ask yourself, why? Why didn't he? Is he some kind of a cruel God that's mocking you or trying to take pleasure in your misfortune on earth? Of course not. We know who God is. We've got a picture of him in the word. So God can do anything. And if he doesn't, it isn't because he couldn't. And it must be because of who he is, because it's what's best. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just the uh, encouragement that this psalm was to me this week. And pray that it would find similar 
uh, encouragement in the hearts and minds of uh, other folks. And Lord, I do pray that you would strengthen our faith, help us to be unwavering in our confidence in who you are and what you can do, but help us also to rejoice in good times and bad and to pray in good times and bad and to not lose heart. And we thank you for this time together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.